Our reading today is by Mary Oliver, titled The Journey. One day you finally knew that what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life, each voice cried, but you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible, it was already late enough. In a wild night and the road full of fallen branches and stones, but little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. Thank you for that poem, Maya, beautiful poem. All right. I will spare you all the terrible preacher jokes I've been making all morning about me receiving my co second COVID shot on Friday. And here on the third day, I am resurrected away from the fever and the chills and the aches. <laughs> um, people are getting kind of sick of it, so I'll spare you. Though I really didn't, didn't, didn't. <laughs> but every year on Easter, I feel it is the same story. And in many ways it is, the gospels don't change last time I checked, most holy books don't. But what I really mean is that as a Unitarian Universalist minister, I find myself having the same conversation leading up to this holy day year after year. It's a process that looks something like this. Usually I start with thinking Easter is so far off, usually in January after Christmas with the great sort of, breathing that occurs after the Christmas holidays and all of the holidays around Christmas, solstice included. And it's usually followed by dread as Lent comes bounding along. Now, Unitarian Universalists don't really do Lent, though sometimes we try without the trappings of spiritual discipline or sacrifice. It's an optional season at best. But if you used to be Catholic, you might still observe it. No meat on Fridays, give up candy or alcohol and so on and so forth. And then Palm Sunday arrives. Another day we sometimes mention, more often than not, but we don't. But behind the scenes, you, you clergy and many clergy are fretting because here it is right now, Easter Sunday. Our approach to this day is also anguished. Ah, we might say, Easter means spring. It is here. Let's talk about bunnies and butterflies. And we certainly talked about butterflies today. Followed by, why on earth do we celebrate a holiday where our theology ends with the tomb? And then the inevitable. Why can't we just be done with Easter for good? I go through that process every single year. Fretting, planning, denying, grappling, rejecting, anticipating, embracing, sometimes all of the above, all at once. Easter is a peculiar holiday for Unitarian Universalists. As a tradition that owes its oldest roots to Protestant Christianity, it is a holiday and story that we still need to grapple with. A story that we continue to tell, a story where despite the text not changing, and it may never change, 
there are ways that we can still apply it to our lives in transformative ways. And while I do believe Easter is important for us, for Unitarian Universalists, and I do believe that we are indeed an Easter people living in a Good Friday world. And while I also believe that our story, as you use when we look at the text, ends with the tomb, a majority of you use do not affirm a literal resurrection. I still believe this day can bring about transformation in the simplest, subtlest ways. Now, if a Unitarian Universalist were to write a gospel, I imagine it would look like something like the gospel of Mark. It's the shortest gospel, the oldest gospel we have. It's the most direct gospel. It's the gospel where Jesus of Nazareth has some of the most biting criticism where you're like, oh, I didn't realize Jesus could be that uh, uh, brisk with people. And here's why I think this is a good gospel for Unitarian Universalists. And this is from the last chapter of the Gospel of Mark. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, also of Jesus, and Salome brought spices so that they might anoint him, him being Jesus of Nazareth. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They'd been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But the young man said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And so they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That is the end of the Gospel of Mark, the oldest, oldest papyri, <laughs> the oldest copies end right there. Here we find no resurrection to glory, no walking through walls, no appearing or meeting people on the road, no doubting Thomas sticking his fingers in the wounds, no ascension into heaven, none of it. Just four words, for they were afraid. There's a cryptic message, of course, from the man dressed in white. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. And still, they were afraid. They told no one. Terror and amazement seized them. I often look at how modern people interpret the Bible and I, I find it kind of baffling. The letters of Paul are treated as anything but letters. These were handwritten correspondence to specific communities. The myths of the Torah aren't uh, treated as if they're there to teach moral lessons or axioms, but instead they're treated as literal stories. Revelation, which is symbolic from the very start is suddenly not so symbolic. And the Gospels, specifically the endings, are not read as books of remembrance. Here was a tiny community, tiny community, grappling with the loss of their beloved teacher, immersed in grief, for they were afraid. Have you ever lost someone you love or admire? Did you dream of them? 
Did you find yourself picking up the phone to call them? Did you swear you saw them somewhere? Grief changes us and works through us in peculiar ways. Or maybe after the loss of a loved one, you find yourself sitting with family or friends sharing stories and it's almost as if for that brief shining moment when tears and laughter weave together, it's almost as if you forget they're gone ever so briefly. The ending of the gospels for me is a glimpse into that kind of grief. A glimpse into how that community wrestled with immense loss and resurrected in memory their beloved teacher. Now, of course, by the time Paul comes along, right? Resurrection is more a concrete concept, but I'm not gonna confront that head on today and solve that problem for all of us. You approach the resurrection how you want. But for me, it's more interesting to look at how the story of resurrection began. There it is, right in Mark. It begins with terror, amazement, silence, and fear. And it leads me to believe that, yes, something indeed transformative occurred for that community after Jesus of Nazareth was put to death. And beyond the absolute literalism of today, and let's, re let's not forget that biblical literalism is a modern invention. Beyond that, we can immerse ourselves in the transformation we discover. We can read and hear the story anew. And why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't it be reclaimed from the grips of fundamentalism and literalism? Why shouldn't we heretics lift up what is good and right about the preacher from Nazareth as we would with any great teacher that we celebrate? Why shouldn't we breathe new life into this great story for our times? And here we have it. A poor carpenter who dared to speak truth to power being executed as an example to the people, an exertion of corrupt power and the demands of tyrants. Do we not see this happening still in recent history? And what can our communities learn from that one community that was transformed by this great loss 2,000 years ago? For us in 2021, this second Easter of COVID-19, as stones are starting to get rolled away from the tomb we have inhabited this past year, I wonder, how will our communities be transformed? How have we changed? What terror and amazement await our return to life, even amidst the grief of losing nearly 560,000 American lives, some we knew and loved? There is utter chaos to the tomb in the Easter story. The stone is rolled away and it is empty and something emerged. And we don't really need to go right there to that tomb in the gospels. We can look much closer to the world around us. And big surprise, you've heard this from me often, the great stories of humanity can be found in the natural world, right here, right now. And when I think of the, East, the empty tomb on Easter Sunday, I think of the empty chrysalis after a butterfly emerges and takes flight. I think of the terror and amazement at being alive anew and whatever way a butterfly could feel those things. I think of how that precarious first hour after emerging as the butterfly lets their wings stretch and dry before flight is possible. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Because in order to take flight for a butterfly, it must first enter the chrysalis as a caterpillar. 
And some beloved children's books, and you you know which books I'm talking about, make it sound like it is so great to be a caterpillar, chomping away at leaves here and there, inching along, building the chrysalis, and drifting off to sleep all snug and peaceful. The opposite is true. David James, who's an entomologist from Washington State University who specializes in caterpillars and butterflies, describes what happens in the chrysalis as such, and it is not being snug and comfortable and drifting off to sleep. He writes, it's the construction of a butterfly or moth from caterpillar soup. Some of you already know this, and if you didn't, you heard that right. In the chrysalis, enzymes from the caterpillar break down the body of that caterpillar, forming a soupy, almost primordial goop with some bits holding it all together. And from that soup, rather quickly, in the grand scheme of things, but still quite fragile and harried, wings, legs, organs, and a body take shape. The chrysalis is not the idyllic picture of books and fairy tales that we hear about. It is utter chaos, natural chaos but chaos nonetheless. And from that chaos, we get a butterfly or moth who after emerging still must wait before taking flight. This is the threshold of transformation for the butterfly. And for us on Easter Sunday, that threshold of transformation is the tomb, the chrysalis that transformed a Palestinian community 2000 years ago, but so much more than that. It's the emergence that is happening around all of us right now the feeling of release after a very long year. It's finding ourselves still in a precarious place, waiting to take flight, but not yet. For there's still more to do for us to be safe and healthy and ensure our communities are safe and healthy. It's the terror and amazement at what we've learned about our culture this past year. That there are loving, good and resilient people all around us, but there is also a great threat to our democracy and nation still right here in America, not some distant land. It's the emergence in our personal and familial lives that unfolded regardless of the pandemic. The emergence from primordial ooze, or in other words, from not knowing where life will take us, but trusting the chaos of emerging with amazement at who we've become this past year, how we've renewed, or maybe we see opportunities for transformation still. Easter is not just some story from thousands of years ago, it's, it's right here, right now. It's asking us to respond when the stone is rolled away, and it isn't just the emergence of one prophet or great teacher, it's a continual emergence of ourselves, of others, of life. Time will continue to slip from our fingers, yet while we still live, we emerge and enter into each new day. This community, the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington, will emerge from the chaos of our time. It is coming. There are unknowns before us. In some places, cases are rising, people are still dying, and I trust that we are all committed to ensuring our community cares for those who are the most vulnerable among us that we will be generous in not knowing all the answers in this emergence, but that we will also look to a bright day in the future when we will emerge from this time, transformed. But that part is up to all of us. 
You may have seen the recent news that church membership has fallen below 50% in the United States. And some of you were very, very kind in sending well wishes to me for that. But let me say, I did not despair at that news. Some may rejoice in it for cruel reasons and, well, bless their hearts. I instead felt a wave of grounded hope. Religion in America is going to enter into a chrysalis of its own. There will be chaos. There will be unknowing. There will be terror and amazement. But what comes next is where I, was, I am most hopeful. It is time for religion to reclaim its prophetic imperative, to be a countercultural force for justice, spiritual edification, and hope from the margins. And while I'll save exploring and digging into that even deeper for another Sunday, it is my hope for all of us that we will continue to realize exactly what we've accomplished during this pandemic and why a community such as ours matters. There is still more to come, but on this day of resurrection, we should not be silent and afraid like the people at the tomb in our story. Instead, we should be celebrating. We should be raising hallelujahs for joy and for the vulnerability of those who've kept us going. For the people who've raised songs of gladness, even if they were staring at a screen, not knowing if anyone could hear them, who shared their personal stories of transformation with our community, courageously in community, who've been honest in their fears, exuberant in their joys, who've realized it matters that such a place as this exists. Because once we get done feeling great about all of that, we'll realize that there's more chaos awaiting us, that there's more unknowing, that there's more emerging. And so we are indeed an Easter people in a Good Friday world. We often surrender to the chaos of transformation, the, the delicate waiting before taking flight. But oh, how we do take flight. How we emerge transformed. That is my hope for all of us this Easter Sunday. May the story of this day bring new wisdom to you and may you discover places of transformation in your life. May it be so, blessed be, amen.